Family is the only um, it's the only area in our life where we say quality over quantity. Yeah. The only area that we that we say, you know, you're not going to have much time because of other commitments. So just make sure you have quality time. Yeah. I would love to use that in the workplace, right? I would love to sit there and say, well, hold on. I don't think I... <laughs> I don't think I need to work 40 hours this week because I can do the same job at a high quality in 20 hours. Seems like much. You, I'll be in but, three hours a day. But but you should still pay me the same amount. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and like that doesn't work there anywhere. No, quantity is important. Look, quality is important too in the workplace. I'm not going to say it's not. Uh, but quantity is what produces quality. My guest today has always been the man behind the scenes and has been a part of and a leader in some of the most prestigious video production teams in all of games media, formerly of fandom and IGN, and also a three times local Emmy uh, winner uh, of uh, being a, a video editor, a producer, and a cinematographer. Um, now he's on his own endeavor uh, with this podcast, Raising Light, a podcast that is a series of messages to his kids. Uh, on how to build a radiant light that outshines the world. Raising Light is a Jesus-centered, socially against the grain encouragement about self, marriage, family, vocation, and the guide to the next generation toward being more confident, joyful, and loving. Please welcome Darren Brazil. That is quite an intro. <laughs> I mean, that, that is solid. You know, I, I can't stand doing intros. You mentioned my podcast. It's the worst part of the whole podcast. I just, I hate getting through them. <laughs> it, it really is. Once you're into it, you're, you're fine. It's just yeah. that initial stumbling upon the words. I haven't hosted my own podcast in quite some time too. So getting back into that groove, but stuff. it's all good. No, you did great. That was awesome. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem. I've, I've been wanting to get you on for quite some time. Um, I think a lot of the people, especially the behind the scenes people are very um, overlooked, especially in like the games industry. It's all about the host, the personality, right? Um, but to me, some of the most interesting people in the games industry are the people behind the camera. Um, well, you're not in the games industry anymore, but yeah, no, no. I mean, in, in general, too, even before I was in the gaming industry, I, I was actually in sports broadcasting. Um, and that's actually where I won, I won Miami's. Um, so I was always behind the scenes. I've always preferred being behind the scenes. I never really much cared to to get in front of the camera. It never bothered me. Um, I, I actually have a like, zero fear or trepidation of speaking in front of people or big crowds or things like that or on online or on TV in front of hundreds of thousands if need be. But um I, I just never had a desire to always try and package myself, I guess, because it's tough. Um, my, my brother actually is on-air talent for television, um, and he's always been that. And obviously, I've worked with a lot of on-air talent, right? And um, you have to package yourself, you know? And, and it's, it's tough because you can't always be your true, authentic self. That's changing in a lot of ways, right, in the media landscape, especially now with just more access to people being able to, you know, be content creators themselves. They're being a little more authentic, but as you get deeper uh, into the game, I guess you can say, uh, you kind of get wedged into expectation and people saying, this is what you're known for. And then you can't really exercise kind of the variety of who you really are, right? Because people aren't simple creatures, right? They're very, um, they're, they're very diverse. And so once you kind of get that stigma for who you are and, and what you're known for, you kind of feel this pressure to stick to it. And when you kind of go outside of that, um, people dislike it. So there's just all these pressures that I never really liked and saw that I was like, I don't, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can maintain that. Um, so I have much respect for people who, who can, because turning it on when you're having a bad day, as you would know, right? Like oh, if you have yeah. a bad day and you have to do a podcast, it is the worst, it, right? Or if you, <laughs> it, it really is. And it's one of those things yeah. where it, you, you brought it up a little bit too. Like today, it's just so easy to kind of 
you're it's kind of breaking the mold now and you don't really have to be this one package thing and that's what i like about you so much right now as well um and i, I kind of want to get into that a little bit um but Absolutely. first let's i, I kind of want to get your like back the backstory right so sure you worked in games i think that's what um everybody predominantly knows you from i mean at yeah. least like right now with your current audience so you won three emmys the local emmys L let's talk about that where did you kind of get your start Sure, sure. Um, uh, not because I'm trying to be braggadocious. It was four. No, sorry. I asked you. Oh, sorry. Oh, four. <laughs> My bad. My bad. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Um, yeah, no, I started in, in broadcast television. Um, uh, did that my first day of college, actually. Went to college, and my first day of school, I went straight to work, um, working as an intern for a local TV station. Uh, and I was in broadcast TV up until about 2000. Oh, seven, I believe it was. No, no, farther than that. 2009, I think. Um, and so I was in broadcast TV for, for that whole time. And it was a blast. I had a good time. Um, it's a grind. Uh, I worked mostly in sports broadcasting. So when, when we were live and, and doing productions, uh, it was kind of non-traditional hours, you know, kind of like 2 to 11 p.m. rather than 9 to 5, uh, which was great when I was in my early 20s. As I got to get married and started a family, me and my wife were kind of like passing ships. Uh, yeah. I also just, re re I did, yeah, I mean, I just recognized that that wasn't going to work uh, long term. And then I also saw uh, just the shift, obviously, from traditional broadcast to digital was really taking taking hold. And um, you could see that in advertising dollars. You could see that in just the technology, uh, in the audiences. So I was like, I need to make that jump to digital. Um, the good thing about video and and uh, being a video person is that video is becoming the most predominant, you know, medium out there, right? And so you can take that and you could like, it's like a language. Once you learn to speak video, you can translate that to really any interest. So I was able to jump from sports to games, right? And then even before that, I had some years where I was kind of just freelancing and doing stuff. Um, and I'd worked in some music videos and some other things. So you can really take that interest and that, that expertise and that knowledge of video production, just apply it to whatever. If you're interested in cars, and you know video, you can go make videos about cars. If you're interested in science, you can make it about science. So that's one of the things I've always loved about video. I've always treated it more like a language you speak that you can just apply to an interest. Um, and that makes it fun and that makes it interesting. So yeah, that was my background in, in sports, uh, sports media, won a few Emmys there. Um, mostly as a, as a video editor for different things, produced also a lot of live broadcasts uh, for the Oakland A's and stuff like that, um, which was, it's always a thrill to work live. If you never worked in a live environment, there's few things that give you a rush, like going live and then seeing the tick of the audience go up and you have to kind of, you know, keep the show running smoothly. Yeah. So. You know, I mean, that, that, there's something definitely like there, there's almost like an edge to like live, like broadcasts or live productions or like whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and th that's so interesting that you kind of got your start in sports. And that's what I usually tell people as well, like who are kind of wanting to get into like the games industry is mm -hmm. production's kind of the way to go. Um, yeah. because you do open yourself up to open, you do open yourself up to options in terms of, like you said, you could do sports, you could do gaming, you can go into actual, uh, broadcast television, anything like mm -hmm. that. Um, so your schedule, you, you would say is primi primarily why you made the jump like two games. Yeah. I mean, that was the thing that kind of was the impetus for it. Right. Recognizing that, oh man, this, uh, managing a family, being there for a family was not going to be possible in, in the broadcast environment. Um, I also never had a desire to move down to LA, which it's either LA or New York. <laughs> if you really yeah. want to like grow that career, not that there's opportunities in the Bay area, but um, so I, so I definitely wanted to go digital. Plus, like I said, I just saw the landscape shifting, right? Um, video 
and bandwidth was increasing on the digital side. And so I said, that's, that's kind of where I need to go. IGN was actually two blocks away from the job I was at when I was at NBC Sports. Oh, so you didn't uh, have to relocate that much. I didn't have to relocate. I literally <laughs> printed my resume, old school. I mean, this is the way to do it, right? You have to, whenever you, this is my, whenever I'll give advice for applying to jobs here. Whenever you um, want a job, you just have to stand out, right? And so if you feel confident about your resume and things like that, that's great. But there's a lot of great resumes out there, a lot of great candidates to look at. So you obviously want to make that nice. But you have to do just like the one extra thing to kind of stand out so you're not a list of resumes stacked in a pile or nowadays just digital. Like, I mean, I've gone through yeah, hundreds. I've gone through resumators and it's, you know what? There's, they're, they're all really bad platforms <laughs> to try and like pull out. I mean, you're, you're kind of randomly clicking. And so, and unless you have a good kind of hiring team or HR team to help you out, it's, it's, it's really hard. So uh, I printed out my resume, old school, to paper, put it in a manila envelope, um, found the name of the highest person I possibly could at IGN, which at least on the video side, um, which was Bernard Ho, who was the, a running video at that time. Um, and I went to uh, the offices and I just pretended like I was dropping something off for Bernard that he should have had. And I said, hey, um, <laughs> I, I got this I got this package for Bernard. Um, just wanted to, and like nothing. I just said, you know, attention Bernard. Uh, gave it to the Cheryl at the front desk and uh, that was it. And it ended up on Bernard's desk. And what's funny about that was Bernard joked with me after I got hired. Um, He's like, I opened that thing up and I just was like, why is there a, re- why am I getting a, Bernard's very businessman, uh, very much business. like, why do I have a resume on my desk? What is this? You know, he didn't want to deal with that because um, he wasn't making the hire. Yeah. But then, so then he passed it off to Fran uh, Mirabella, oh, right? Who actually, who hired me. Yeah. Um, and that was just the way you, you just need that, that in, I've always been very confident that once I can kind of speak to somebody or talk to somebody that was hiring, that I could at least have a shot at the job um, because I just felt confident in my skills and my abilities and my background. And so um, it's all just, you know, you gotta get your foot in the door. You gotta get noticed. Um, and then obviously, you know, you spend, you spend your career just building your, your, your knowledge and your expertise and your background. Um, and that will speak for itself. Once you kind of build that stuff up, it speaks for itself. And I was very lucky to have a good resume and good experience and, and, uh, and good, good line items on there that stood yeah. out. So I just had to get in the door. So it was great. Um, I, I love, love the, the confidence move though. I was just walking in there and be like, Hey, uh, <laughs> I need to talk to Bernard. I need to talk to Bernard. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, didn't, I, I didn't speak to him. I just wanted him to have it. I just, you know, like if you think about it, there's all these resumes that hundreds, right. Yeah. Or a single, single role, thousands, depending on the job uh, that someone has to sort through. So what stands out? a resume sitting printed out on your desk. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's kind of the way I looked at it. I hired a guy one time. I'll give a shout out to him. I don't know if he ever listens to Matt Maresco um, as a video editor. And he sent in a wedding cake and had his resume printed on the top of it. Uh, and to be quite honest with you, and I told him this, I called him up immediately. I said, your resume does not stack up for the job. You just don't have the experience we're looking for. That said, I'd like you to come in for an interview. Um, strictly based off just that. And he came in, had a great personality, had the drive, had the hunger, and he ended up getting the job. Hired him as a video editor, and he stuck around at IGN for a few years. That is hilarious. So, that, yeah. that, man, it is the clever ways to get noticed. Doesn't always work out that way, but like, really, it was yeah, the attitude, yeah. you know. And, and it was a job that catered to, you know, being a video editor. At the sometimes you need someone who's really polished. Other times you need someone who just shows the drive and the hunger to grow. Yeah. Right. And that was the perfect role for him. And he did, he did a great job. So um, yeah, try and stand up. That's my advice. So, so what was your role at IGN though? I know you were a social for a while, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I came in as post-production manager originally. That's what I was hired as. Um, so I ran the entire post-production team. Uh, IGN is a post-production heavy company, at least at the time it was uh, not so much anymore. A uh, lot of post-production happens there, but yeah. uh, a lot of stuff we were doing back then was working with game footage 
editing it and that was it there wasn't too much actual field production happening um as time went on there and that was 2011 i believe to that late 2010 i think um as time went on there uh we got more production heavy we grew the video team grew dramatically um we got uh, acquired by ziff davis we used to be owned by fox yeah um, oh so you were there during the the fox ziff like yeah change during the transition Ooh, wow yeah, okay yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, got acquired by Ziff Davis, then experienced exponential growth kind of under them um, and really built out. And I shifted from post-production manager to um, content strategy. And so, like I said, because so, so, because so much was post-production, I was making a lot of calls just on the content. You know, what should we put in the, into the rotation? What should we edit? What should we not edit? What should we prioritize? Um, and so I really kind of focused more on that side, uh, shifted into strategy. And then from that point, kind of reached a point there where I was thinking about leaving. Um, I had a couple opportunities somewhere else and was, was kind of flirting with those. And uh, I said, you know, I like IGN. I like the people here. There's great people at IGN. If you ever talk to anybody about IGN, that will be the one thing that I always pull out is the great people that are there. Um, I liked it. I was like, I want to try and stay, but I feel like I've kind of plateaued a little bit. Yeah. How can I, how, how can I feel like I'm still growing here? Um, and so I proposed this new role that didn't even exist. Um, which was really leading social video strategy, like recognizing that social platforms weren't just outreaches for links and putting info out there, but a place to actually put content that people can consume. Man, and you were like, ahead of the curve, man. Well, I mean, I was just lucky to kind of see it and, um, and, and some other people saw too. And uh, I was just trying to convince the higher ups to like, let me do it. Uh, and they did. And so that, that kept me there for a few more years, which was great. Um, and I was able to build out really our Facebook video presence. Uh, we weren't putting any video anywhere. So no video was on Facebook, no video was on Twitter, no video was on Snapchat, um, no video was on Instagram. Instagram was, was just budding at the time, even though I don't think it supported video when I started it. But, yeah. um, but so I started working with Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat directly. We launched our original Snapchat uh, Discover channel. We were in the second wave of, of doing that. That was a huge, huge thing that really put confidence behind, oh, we could actually make original content for these platforms specifically. Um, worked with Facebook to launch original Facebook watch shows, Twitter worked with them to do, uh, we were the first one to like live stream E3 on Twitter and Comic-Con on Twitter. Um, and so we were doing original deals with all these people that were exclusive to them um, and on these platforms and making content specific for those platforms. Cause each audience has a different platform has a, or each platform has a different audience. Right. And so you can't create content the same way on Facebook that you would do for a YouTube audience. It's very different. Um, so my job was that, identifying our content opportunities, stratifying them for each uh, platform, and then growing those platforms through content and through video. And honestly, if you're trying to grow yourself on a platform, social or not, um, you it's all content. Like in this day and age, every, every platform really is a content um, platform rather than just a communications platform. So, uh, so yeah, we did that. We saw a lot of success. I mean, uh, it, it got to a point where our social audience was eclipsing our, our website audience. Um, and, that is and insane. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's cool. And then the second part of that was learning how to make money off it, right? So <laughs> Yeah, that, that's the hard part. I don't even think Snapchat's really figured it out yet. <laughs> no, because there's no dollars there. But when you're a publisher, you know, obviously you could bring in bigger audiences and, and a lot bigger numbers. And so we were able to, you know, I, I spent the first year just growing, right? Let me grow a million more people in um, every day right, to see IGN through Snapchat, which was amazing. And so now it was like, we have these audiences here, now let's sell into them, right? Let's package them with our sales team, let's go out, let's sell advertising behind them. Um, and that's what we did. And it became a great model and we launched a bunch of new products that were that were multi-platform products, uh, yeah. helped launch a, a, a movie red carpet product that we would go to red carpets. We did it for Fast and Furious, um, 
IGN does now all the time for a bunch of different ones. I can't remember the ones I saw recently they did. Um, but but it's multi-platform, right? We'll stream your live red carpet on all of our platforms, tweet about it. Like it's a whole takeover of our platforms. And that Brilliant was, idea. That was doable because we were able to build out those platforms and build audiences there. Um, so that was just fun. That that definitely, you know, lengthened my, my journey to IGN. And I am really appreciative of... Um, the people who allowed me to do it. Per Schneider was was instrumental in kind of pushing forward and letting me do it. Um, Steve Horowitz, who's at uh, Ziff Davis on the Ziff Davis side in New York, he, he allowed it to happen. Um, so I'm just really appreciative. And then Fran was always just supportive. Um, you know, we, we kind of started growing in different ways. He hired me originally and then I kind of branched out and, uh, but he always helped make sure it happened. He was just such an instrumental um, mentor. So it was great. So sounds like things are pretty good. I mean, you're at the number one video game website. And probably, yeah. and especially on the production side, probably the best place to be, in all honesty, yeah. when you're looking at IGN. Yeah, um, yeah. You start seeing some moves over to this small site called Fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Neha, um, I, 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 you brought, Alex came after you. So, I mean, uh, the big move I saw uh, originally from Fandom was Neha. Yeah. Neha going over, obviously, just one of the, she's been touched pretty much every video team, like in the games industry. Yeah, yeah. Started at IGN, uh, led GameSpot video, uh, hopped over to YouTube Gaming. And then when I saw her move there, I, I started thinking fandom was going to start making some moves. Yeah. Um, and then I think initially when you came over, I was like, the uh, interesting move. And yeah. I, I kind of want to see what they got cooking, right? What yeah. what goes in your mind? What's what's in your mind? What's your mentality going into going from the biggest video game site into something smaller like fandom? Like what what sure. was the reason for that kind of jump? It was a it was a couple reasons. Um, for one, I've never actually really cared too much about size. Uh, I, I've never cared about reaching the most audience. Um, I've always wanted to be just a healthy work environment. Um, and so one of the and not that IGN wasn't healthy. It's just that yeah. as a group, became it became harder to to. Um, do some things, you know, there was more red tape, things took slower. Um, and I was interested in kind of moving somewhere that would, I could move a little, I guess, faster and maybe have a little bit more say independently without having to run through you know, IGN, different people. For, well, yeah. For example, I mean, you know, for IGN to, to launch like on Snapchat, right. I mean, it was months and months of building out decks and presentations and, and convincing, right. Yeah. them to do it, uh, which is fine. And when you're a company that big, you have to be that way, right? Yeah. If you're going to make a bet, you have to um, do your research and do your homework, and, and that's fine. And so I wasn't trying to uh, avoid that. I just I wanted something different. You know, I've been at IGN for, I think, uh, six or seven years at that point, and I was just kind of like, this this looks interesting. Neha, obviously, can very convincing, right? Like, she's she's amazing um, and, and very respected and loved working for her. And so we had a few conversations that were just good. Um, but the main thing about fandom, there's two reasons for one was just, um, family. So I had two kids at that point, um, and wanted to really kind of be a little more flexible with my schedule. And, um, that was hard to do with IGN. I was managing a team when you're managing a team and you have people, you have to be available. You have to be there. A lot more um, responsibility. A lot more responsibility. Five different things at time. Yeah, IGN's not built out to be too good of a remote work environment either. Um, so, so it was hard to kind of work remotely because of that. Um, definitely more in office and things like that. And and I, I wasn't living in San Francisco. I was living out in the East Bay, and yeah. so that it's it's three hours a day that we're just commuting, right? Half an hour, hour and a half there, hour and a half back. Um, and so you add that to the eight-hour workday, and it's, I'm away from my family 11, 12 hours of the day, right? Yeah. So. Um, 
wasn't really digging that was getting home at times when like it's like my kids what they call witching hour it's like the worst part yeah. of the day right like they're t- they're tired i'm tired cranky <laughs> almost the bedtime part. the worst time yeah. for them it's the worst part time for all of us and so <laughs> i'm sitting there going like you're not getting my best i'm not getting your best i don't like where this is going i don't like the trajectory i don't like the the, the, the rhythm we're moving in right um so fandom allowed a little bit more flexibility there. I was able to work from home a little more. They are a much more remote-based business. They, uh, at the time, and probably still are, branched throughout all the world, right? So I, the team I ran was equally broken up between SF, LA, and London. And then there was even content creators in Sydney as well. Um, and, and we worked very remote in a lot of ways. So that was, that was enticing. And then the last thing really was like what they planned to do. Fandom is not a content place as much as, yeah, exactly. as, much as a, a, a platform. And so, you know, a wiki platform, and they had this vision to marry content, premium content with user-generated wiki content. And I thought that was so cool. I saw I, the times that when I was at IGN, I actually got to work with the product team and go to Mount in developing some new things that blended content with product. And I just saw that as, that is the, really the future of, if you're going to have a, your own domain, your own .com, that's how you're going to stand out yeah. is because, um, you know, everyone's moving to, to third parties, right? Everyone's moving to YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and all these things. So if you have a .com, you need to have something that, has something there that's more than just coming to read or watch a video. Um, and IGN's done a great job with building out products that make their .com worth going to. Um, and then fandom, I just thought with the wikis and the way the vision they had, that was really interesting to me. And uh, I spent a lot of my first months there talking with with the product team about how we marry you know premium content with all these cool tools and features that they that they could build out. Um, that's, yeah, that was kind of the impetus for it. You know, it, it it fell apart pretty quickly just for a few things. And I won't go into too much detail because I always love to respect a company's business decisions. Absolutely. And to be honest with you, it's kind of boring. It's a straight up business. Um, within a couple months of being there, there was an influx of new money from investors uh, that whenever a company gets invested in a substantial amount, um, usually leadership changes because that company wants say in what, what happens. Oh, great. So, so not me, but leadership above me. I mean, C-level guys were, yeah. were, were shifting around um, and there were some interim people brought in and then, you know, the vision they had for it actually ended up being not so much content led, but back to being product led again. Um, and so they just decided to restructure that and put more effort back into the product. And so the content team that they had just, you know, spent the last maybe year or two building out um, was, was all let go. I mean, just that whole kind of vertical. And so- yeah. That was that was it. That was the decision. There wasn't much behind it. Um, well, it, I so, sorry that that was the yeah. thing though. I remember after you moved, and then um, Alex Alameda came up after you. Like yeah. you, I I was looking at fandom. Like they just got like an A list. Like if I was gonna like build an <laughs> Avengers of video, like that's pretty much it. Like minus Tyroot, right? Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I don't I don't know, man. A lot of the Avengers got snapped away. So I don't know. <laughs> I no. mean, I mean, yeah, yeah, we were we were building a great team, and that was really me and Neha's goal was build an all star team. And we had a lot of people uh, names that most people don't quite know yet, but they were going to know because they were just so talented. Brett Putman is one that was awesome, um, and so we were excited for that. Um, but you know, things changed, plans changed on a, on a higher level, on a financial level, and so that happens. Um, I was lucky because I experienced this really early in my career, actually, um, when I was. 22 i was laid off from that first tv job i had so i worked there all through college uh we did a late night uh friday night live sports show if you're from the bay area you would and in your i guess probably in your 30s because it hasn't been around for a while um you would know it. it's called high school sports focus everybody loved it we would go shoot high school games all over the bay and then air them live on friday nights and everybody watched this show i mean if you're in high school you watched this show because you could see yourself see your friends it was it was a blast um 
but it, it was cool. on the air. Yeah, it was on the air for 16 years. Jeez. And then in 2002, uh, no, I'm sorry, 2005. I don't I, I'm getting old. You know, you're getting old when you start. I can't remember years, but it was the year after I graduated college. Um, they, they let us all go. The whole, the whole team, the whole division kind of running it because they actually got bought out by Fox, the, the station, and they wanted to launch a new news broadcast. Well, instead of, you know, sharing resources, they said, well, we have this team here. Let's just shift it over here. But we got to get all new people that are news people and whatever. Um, and so they let the whole team go. So I experienced that really early. I was 22. And, uh, you know, I didn't care much at the time. I mean, it, you know, you're 22. Bumped, you can bounce back. You're young. You're bumped, <laughs> I have no responsibility. I'm 22. I'm just getting started. I, I got a severance. So I was like, wow, I booked a crew. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, I just like spent it, you know, I was like, wow, I can go on unemployment. I got unemployment, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. just kind of there, like, this like is a cool. dream and for I, a 22 year old. <laughs> yeah. I, I lived a year where I just like freelance randomly. It was on unemployment and kind of like worked out and it, it was, it was really funny. Um, but so I experienced that really early. I just experienced that at any given moment. Their, your job could be taken away from you for whatever reason. Um, it could be because somebody just wants to reallocate dollars. It could be because maybe it's a health reason. It could be whatever. Um, so no, there is no such thing as job security. I learned that very early. And I think we spend a lot of time in our lives and in our careers trying to build job security, uh, make ourselves valuable, make ourselves like, like a business can't run without us. Um, the truth of the matter is the only business that can't run without you is the one that you run by yourself, yeah. right? The minute you are in a company, you're a spoke uh, in a wheel. And that's not a bad thing at all. It's just the truth. Yeah, uh, and you have to recognize the fact of the matter. You it's you have to hum humbly recognize that, right? The machine um, will keep running without you. It was running yep. before you were run without you. Anybody could do my job at IGN. And guess, guess what? Somebody else is doing it. They're doing it great. Thousands so, of other people will sign up. Absolutely. <laughs> right right after, to, and then once you're gone. They'll do it differently and uniquely to their, to their needs too. And that's, that's good too, to have variety. Somebody told me one time, um, when you you know when you're when you're running a company or building a company, sometimes there are people that are really good at at running it from like zero to fifty employees, right? And then there's somebody who's really good at running it from fifty to two hundred and fifty employees, and that might not be the same person, right? So it's really good to recognize kind of when you're in your like what your work style is and what your comfort zone is. Um, you know, in my case, I was managing a team. Am I better managing a small team of three, or am I good at managing a larger team of fifteen with several other managers that kind of help me? You know, I. Yeah. I, I had to kind of figure that out and everybody has to understand how they, how they work and then find a situation that, that complements their work style. So. Well, I mean that, that plays perfectly into like the theme of, I kind of want this podcast to be kind of centered around is curveballs, right? Life throws you curveballs sometimes. So, I mean, to me, all the chess pieces were there for fandom. Um, you build up this incredible video team and then the rug is just pulled under you and then opposed to like when you were 22, right? you have kids right at this time did you have the third on the way no no, no. Okay. uh but but funny story we found out we were pregnant with the third three, three days before so so it was like a saturday and we find out uh we found out that we were pregnant with our third and then i think it was like yeah, that monday i go in the office and, <laughs> and, they, and they let yeah. us go um so it was it was really funny it was you know in all honesty it was hard on my wife right like yeah it, I'm, I'm sure i mean it's it's and then this fear and me too right and like there, there's a, there's this sense of insecurity and fear that comes from like not having a job yeah. um especially for the first time having it that way when i have a family and kids and a mortgage and all these adult responsibilities yeah. <laughs> um that's for the I kids remember, car payments 
you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. I, I remember um, going to work, going into the office that day, knowing it was going to happen, right? Like not, not, no one said verbally because they couldn't say it was going to happen, but I've just, you know, I read the signs and you can see it's going to happen. Um, and then uh, I hopped on BART and the, the transit, right? And, and rode the train back home. And I haven't ridden on BART since. I haven't been back to the city since. I was so happy coming home because I was like looking around going, I don't think I need to ride on BART anymore. This is going to be great, you know? And um, I I was happy. I was like, I mean, not. I, I felt really, really bad because um, some people like Alex, who I helped bring into fandom, yeah. uh, you know, was, was not in that same boat, right? Like he wanted to... He wanted to stay there and build. But to be honest with you, I I kind of was. I I think deep down, back in my head, the reason I went to fandom um, initially, right? One of the reasons was because of that flexibility with family. So I think there was already a hint there that something needed to change for yeah. me personally uh, in in my life. And um, I just think that's God's way of saying, hey, like you you didn't have the courage to actually do what you needed to do. So I'll step in and kind of help nudge you the rest of the way <laughs> I, I mean i mean uh, you've been segueing perfectly into like everything that i'm like trying to talk about like i know how to get you to the yeah, yeah, yeah i know exactly <laughs> i mean what so you're happy which is an unusual <laughs> feeling to feel when you're laid off but i it totally makes sure. sense and especially uh listening to your podcast like how much you value the time with your family and especially after like i saw you on twitter just the things that you tweeted out just like um it was the first day i think you took your kid to school and like year yeah yeah right? it's great and just your mindset to me was just so was so inspiring just in terms of how you take something so typically negative but y you ultimately get to do the thing that you want but in your back of your head what's going on in terms of like okay yeah th this is good i'm with my family but i kind of have to get a job eventually yeah. right so it, like what what's your like what's going through your head other than like just the happiness of being able to be with your family like sure I immediately um, told myself that I wasn't going to focus on work or a career or anything work related mm. for a while. So, um, and I did that. If I had any ideas uh, or any opportunities that came up, someone reached out to me, which I had a lot of great people reach out to me and want to talk about, you know, hey, we're building this out or hiring this role. Like, let's talk. Um, I took all those things and I put them to the side. I literally like wrote a post-it note or responded back to people. If I had an idea, I wrote it down. Or if I, and I said, hey, um, I'm just laying low for a minute and maybe I'll get back to you guys in like a month or two. I don't know yet. Um, I'll, I'll know when I'm ready to get back, but I wanted to just shift my attention on the thing that mattered, um, which was my family in that time. And that's why, yeah, I, I immediately like picked my kid up from school that day. I took him, he, he was doing gymnastics at the time, took him to gymnastics, had, like hadn't gone to a class of gymnastics in years with him. Yeah. Um, it was great. You know, like I, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to compare it to like a vacation because it wasn't right. Because the yeah. thing was like vacations, like we try and get everything in that we can during a vacation, right? Like it's try, we try to recharge. Um, but the truth of the matter is like, I was sitting there realizing this is not a vacation. This is like a readjustment. This is recognizing the things that actually fill me up. It's funny. They tell my, they told my son when he was, um, in, in preschool, they had this thing about filling buckets and they're like, oh, you should fill people's bucket, you know, fill it up with good stuff, right? Um, so if you do something nice for somebody, they say, did you fill that, their bucket or whose bucket did you fill today? And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, how was I filling my own bucket before? Mm. And I realized I was filling it with a lot of negative stuff. And um, the things that actually fulfill me and build me up, I was saving for last or my bucket was already full. Everyone's got a bucket that's so big, they can only handle so much in a day. My bucket was full. So when the good stuff was coming, I was already overflowing. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't even recognize the good things. And so, so yeah, like I just focused in on that. And, uh, and then I jumped back into the work stuff 
when I was kind of ready to do it. I was very lucky. Um, you know, we, we always had saved for a rainy day. This was a rainy day. Yeah. So I just kind of did the math and I said, okay, how long can we float? You know, and yeah. like, what's that like? And um, so we were very fortunate there. Not everyone has that, that situation. So we were very lucky with that. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, there, I think to myself, when it's all said and done, I don't think I'm going to look back and think about the hours I worked, the jobs I did or whatever. I'm going to think about the relationships I had. And the most important relationships to me are, are you know, obviously my family, family and then close friends and things like that. And so I don't, I don't know, you know, it's hard to lose a job. It's not easy, but at the same token, just perspective wise, I mean, when you really just pull yourself out of your own existence and your own body and you kind of look at everything at play. Um, and my last podcast was really about this. I talked about anxiety a little bit. Um, and I talked about not a little bit, a lot, <laughs> yeah. how I've dealt with the it. The whole podcast. <laughs> yeah, the whole podcast. And, um, but I talked about gratitude as being the greatest weapon to, to anxiety. Gratitude is such an amazing tool that you can put towards so many things. And I think we, we take it for granted because every day we wake up, we can list off a hundred things we're grateful for, but we don't. You know, we kind of we kind of take it for granted. We take waking up for granted. We take the fact that we live in America, which is a country that allots a lot of wonderful freedoms that we don't get to have elsewhere, right? Like we take that for granted. Um, we take our health for granted, which can go in a in a, in a snap, right? Yeah. Um, and so there's all these things that to be grateful for, and that's a decision to make. You either choose to focus on those or you don't. Um, and I just consciously decided to focus on those. And, and, and the last part of that, that not to keep rambling is no, that you're good, you're good. What, I, what I really realized is where I was weak. Um, and where I'm weak is I always was goal oriented. Me and my wife are very similar in that, that case. We always would sit there. Where do we want to be in a year? Where do we want to be in five years? What do we want to be in 10 years? Um, through our twenties, we were like hitting our stride. Like we were every goal that we set, we were achieving at some point, right? Like, okay, we want to get married and then we want to have kids and we want to like buy a house and yeah. we want to try and, you know, career wise, have it work like this and, and everything for the whole decade of our twenties, like we hit all of our goals. And, um, here was something that was a wrench thrown in, right. That all of a sudden, and we also were kind of sitting there and I was saying to her, I was like, wow, I feel like even before this happened, I go, I feel like we're at a season now. Like what are our next goals? Yeah. Because we've, we've done the things we want to do. Like what are our goals now for growing our kids and all this stuff? Um, this was God's way of kind of sitting there going, stop, stop yeah. making goals, stop making plans, stop trying to do it yourself. Stop thinking that you're in control. The plan that's going to happen is my plan. Right. Um, Proverbs 3, 5, I think says lean not on your own understanding, right? Which is don't think that you have it all together, right? Don't think that you know how things are going to play out. And um, I was always trying to plan and, and I was hoping God would bless those things for me rather than really going, Hey, what is, what is it that you intend for me? Yeah. Because you, cre you created me for a purpose and am I living up to that purpose or not? Uh, and it's magic when you can put, when your plans align, right? That when you, meet God at his plan and you accept it, right? Not that he meets you at yours. Yeah. And so, um, so this was really an exercise in that to sit there and say, okay, no job, but you got all these wonderful things to be grateful for. Focus on them. Why not be grateful for these things? They're not gone. They're still there. Whatever. You lost a job, big deal. Money, money comes from somewhere else one day. I provide it, not you. Right. And so trust in me, trust in me to, to move you forward, trust in me to take care of your family. And you know what, I've, it's, it's been such an exercise of trust for me that that's been, um, despite being a person who says he's a believer, I still struggle with belief, right? Like they, there's, they, they can live, they can coexist with each other. Doubt yeah. and faith go hand, go hand in hand. Um, 
And I still struggle with, you know, will I be able to, will I be able to provide for my family? Will I be able to take care of my family? I don't need to provide for my family nor take care of my family. God does that. He works through me to do it. He works through my wife to do it. But ultimately, he's the one that makes the call on that because tomorrow he can take it away in a heartbeat if I get stricken with something health-wise, right? Yeah. Um, so that is a that's an exercise of faith that I had to really put into practice. And the first few months were really hard. Uh, and there were times, uh, especially when I launched my own business, that I was sitting there thinking to myself, is this going to work? Do I know what I'm doing? Like, is this, is this actually going to make sense? And then some business rolled in at the right time, right? When I was really looking at our finances and things going, I don't know how we're going to get two months from now. Like, I don't know how we're going to make it. And then all of a sudden God provided, right? Um, and it just reminds me of, of, you know, what Jesus tells people, he says, um, you know, look at the birds and the trees. Doesn't God provide for them? Like, they don't worry about their day tomorrow. Like, don't worry about tomorrow. There's enough problems as it is. Like, don't worry about it. He'll provide for you. Um, yeah. aren't, aren't you so much more important than the birds? And so I, <laughs> yes, I am. You know, we all are <laughs> so much more important than the birds. And yet we we worry, right, about what's next um, and, and, and what we don't have, but what we want. Um, and it was a great exercise that I'm still working on today to just have that faith and, and trust that God provides in the way that he knows we need, not the way that we know we need. Yeah. I mean, in a world where we just have so little control of literally everything yeah nothing (laughs) everything um i I find your perspective so unique and just like really refreshing um because you don't see many people deal with curveballs in life like the way you have and i I really do recommend people if you if you are looking for a podcast go listen to raising light um because as somebody who isn't a a person like a big person of faith um, it just, there's so many truths in to what you say and what you talk about, like a, a really good one. I was listening to the one where you, where you were talking about your family and not mm-hmm. being able to spend the time with your family and mm-hmm. how time is everything. Like the time invested is what's going to make you better at things. And it, so it's, it's not just practice. Yeah. It's, it's hours put in, right? It's because, you know, you could be a good baseball player, but how many how many hours did those baseball players, right? Spend in practice, spend in games, right? Spend on actually getting better. And it's just things like that in your podcast that while I'm listening, I just really take away the little, little tidbits um, about it because it is such a different perspective that not many people in the world really have. And I I think it's just a really refreshing take. And um, I appreciate that. Yeah. No family, family is the only, um, it's the only area in our life where we say quality over quantity. Yeah. The only area that we that we say, you know, you're not going to have much time because of other commitments. So just make sure you have quality time. Yeah, I would love to use that in the workplace, right? I would love to sit there and say, well, hold on, I don't <laughs> think I, I don't think I need to work 40 hours this week because I can do the same job at a high quality in 20 hours. Seems like much. You, I'll be in but, three hours a day. But but you should still pay me the same amount. Yeah. <laughs> And, and like that doesn't work there anywhere. No, quantity is important. Look, quality is important too in the workplace. I'm not going to say it's not, but quantity is what produces quality. Yeah. Like if you don't have the reps, like if you're, like I said, and, and I played sports growing up, so a lot of the things I relate to are sports. Yeah. Um, if I'm if I'm Steph Curry, right, and I want to be good at shooting threes, Steph Curry goes out and takes a thousand shots a day, yeah. and it's the quantity that leads to him being having quality there. Same goes for re- not even just family, but relationships. Right. If you want to have a quality relationship with somebody, you got to put the reps in. It's time. You got to understand, understand who they are. And especially it just it just it's enhanced with family because you live with them. You're under the same roof. You're responsible for one another. 
Um, and it just, it's, it's high, it's enhanced when you're with a family, you have to put the reps in to understand your, especially as a parent, your kids, you have to understand what makes them tick, all these things and vice versa, uh, and learn how to kind of massage and work through the tension that happens in that relationship. Right. Yeah. So you can get something positive. So yeah, I, it's just really funny that I, I, if you want to, we can go down the, uh, the workplace route, the work life balance route, because I, I actually spent the, the two or three months where I kind of didn't focus on work at all. I actually spent it doing a lot of um, reading and research just about how we got to the point we are in our work-life balance and like the, the idea of the workplace and the office and like benefits and nine to five work culture and all these things. Yeah, And it's a lot. H- how it's not real, like we just write it off as if it's, well, that's life. Yeah. I had a lot of people when I was kind of upset about commuting and being away from my family for like 12 hours a day, well, you know, that's just life and you have weekends and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and I sat there and I said, wait, I don't think this is just life. That sounds like a pretty, you know, that's, that doesn't seem like the the right excuse for it. And as I dove into it more, the more I found out this, that isn't life. That's not the way it's always been. Who said, who said, well, no, I mean, historically, the whole idea of working nine to five in an office place that is remote from where you live is a concept that only has come into fruition in the last two centuries. Yeah. It's all industrial revolution based from that point on. Let's get people in the factories to make stuff, right? And prior to that, people worked on farms. They worked in their home shops and their homesteads. The family was woven into the vocation, right? It wasn't, I have my job here and my family over here. And then now we, we're even worse, right? We segment everything. Family here, friends here, uh, uh, work here, religion or faith here. And like the truth of the matter is that's not, we are so much messier than that. Like we're not waffles. Like yeah. we don't. Syrup doesn't sit in our little yeah. compartments. <laughs> we're, we're spaghetti. Like we weave together and that's, it's messier and it's harder, but that's the healthier way to actually live. Um, and we write that off as if like, oh, that's the way it's always been. No, it hasn't always been that way. That's not how the work style has always been. Yeah. And to be honest with you, and I always tell people this, I feel like our current Western work style um, is just one large failed experiment. And at some point we need to acknowledge that and, and fix it. So. Interesting. See, I, that's why I love talk, like just talking to interesting people because like I said, you don't hear this kind of take much and especially as well thought out and as well said as you put it. Um, now I I do want to ask you about one thing, just being, being a man of faith, right? Uh, Working in the games industry, right? Predominantly not that. (laughs) So uh, did, did you ever run into any kind of like weirdness or like, uh, I'm, I'm com- anything like that. I'm comfortable in weird situations. So for me, no, but maybe weird for other people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Uh, yeah. So I had a great, I, I've talked about this once before when I was like trying to do some uh, vlogs in the past. Um, I had a, a lunch one time with Tim Gettys and when he was at IGN, this was years ago and we were sitting there and we had worked together at that point for maybe a year and we're having lunch, just me and him. And he's kind of looking at me. We're talking, I don't even know what we're talking about. We're talking about something. And he goes, uh, let me ask you something. He goes, are you like religious or something? And I, and I said, I said to him, I said, uh, well, yeah, like I, I believe in, I believe in Jesus. I consider myself like a Christ follower. And, and he goes, I, I knew it. I mean, I don't, I don't know much about, but I knew it. I just, there was, <laughs> he goes, there was just like something about you. And I, and I always told Tim, I go, Tim, that was like one of the best compliments you could ever say that I, cause, cause we hadn't at that point had any conversations yeah. about it at all. Uh, we have, we have since. And, um, but we haven't actually had much conversations about that. And he, the fact that he just like recognized and saw it, like that's always been kind of my um, desire as someone who's a, a believer is to not 
have to talk about it. Yeah. Although I do a lot. You're not vegan, and it's, you're religious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like I, I, I don't want to have to talk about it. I'd rather, and yeah. also talking about it ain't going to be influential for anybody else. If you, if I really want people to love God and love Jesus and who He is, um, it's the way I am and the way I act that's going to do it. Because what's the thing that turns people off? The way they act that's not Christ-like yeah, yeah, and the way they act that's not in line with how God really loves us and, and kind of his traits and his personality. And so um, I've always just thought that like, it's going to be the way. I mean, I'm not perfect. I fail all the time. And I'm sure there's a bunch of people that will look at me and go, ah, see, you're not a good Christian. Look at you did this and this. <laughs> so, um, but that's because you're right. I, I'm not. And I need, that's why I need Jesus. Yeah. Um, I need that. But yeah, I mean, weird. Um, no, not really. I've had some absolutely wonderful um you know, here's one thing about the games industry, right? That uh, uh, very accepting. So, so the fact that, you know, the way that they that industry is accepting of well, outside of the gamergate stuff, right? Let's put that yeah, in the past. Yeah, yeah, that but like, that whole but like, mess. But like within the industry, there there's there's um there's a lot of acceptance of just different types of people and walks of life, and so. You know, I think anytime somebody came across me and it got to that point where maybe we're talking about faith, they just saw it. I mean, they, it was just, they don't have to agree with it, just accepting of it and, and vice versa. I mean, Jesus walked with the most marginalized of people at the time, people that he should, he quote unquote, shouldn't have for being a a Jewish teacher. And he's sitting there walking with the Samaritans. Right. And so um, I, I, that's, that's what, that's a great example. I see no difference there. That's how we should live as, as Christ followers. And so, um, so no, no weird moments, great conversations. I had like that one with Tim was awesome. Um, I've had great conversations. Uh, I remember sitting in a, and I really want to get uh, with him on his podcast and talk about it. I mean, he's, he's reached out in the past um, and I just got to follow up on it uh, or vice versa. He comes on mine, but I sat in a, a uh, in Narita airport in Tokyo and I was with Colin Moriarty and we had just done TGS for seven days and we're sitting there with an hour till our flight coming home and he's sitting there eating McDonald's just loving it because he hadn't had like American food, I guess for seven days. And, um, and he, he's eating fries and he looks over and he goes, so free will, what do you think about that? <laughs> and I go, I go, we have an hour dollar flight and it's just me and him sitting there. Everyone else is kind of dispersed. And I go, we're going to talk about free will. This is awesome. Let's go. And, uh, we had this great conversation and we even joke about it kind of like, the times we've interacted after that of just like, Hey, remember that great conversation about free will in Tokyo? Or it was like, yeah. And so, um, it was great. He agreed on some stuff, disagreed on most things. Like we, you know, it was, it's really the exercise of being able to have conversation with somebody who is not like-minded with you and disagrees is a lot art in our culture. Unfortunately, it's such a beautiful thing too. It's great. To me, that's like you said, like some of the best conversations I've had, were people who disagreed with me. Yeah. But like, and the di- we're able to have a conversation like adults. Yeah. And the thing that that's missing there, right? The thing that makes that possible is relationship. Yeah. Because um, there's actually this really interesting stat about actually church and attending church. Um, if you invite somebody to church on average, on average, uh, you have to be in a relationship with somebody, friends, whatever it is, for five years on average until that person most likely will say, yeah, I'll go to church with you if you invite them. So, so it goes to show you, like, it just takes, it takes relationship and a trust there to say, Hey, I know you now, I trust you, you're the best interest for me and I respect you. Therefore we can kind of engage in our differences and be okay with it. Um, I, I sat at, at a bachelor party cause this is, this is what 30 something year olds do. Mid 30 year olds yeah. do at, at bachelor parties. Now I, I, one of my friends is getting, or just got married last year. And so we, we were at, uh, sitting there and we're talking. 
and we're discussing uh, gun control and the Second Amendment and things like that. And I have one friend who was very pro-gun, NRA member for the full board. And then another friend who was very anti-gun, like he wanted like buyback, like total opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Um, and then I was involved in the conversation and some other friends. But we all knew, we've all known, I mean, we're close friends. We've all known each other for a long time. Complete disagreement across the board in a lot of areas. Yeah. Totally respectful in our conversation. No one got offended by it. No one got mad by it. The truth, what, the, the thing we ended with was saying, if only our society and our government could have these types of conversations about these these touchy issues and not have them be so polarized and have Tear them each other apart and just, and just have them be more more nuanced because they're challenging problems that need nuance to answer um and as a christ follower that i again everything i do kind of points back to the rhythm and the way that jesus lived and like jesus lived amongst marginalized people but he was he was he traversed it through through them all right he never once went one way or the other way so far he just nuanced uh with grace throughout all those conversations and all those relationships um that, and that's how we should live and just like the work style right it's harder to do that it's harder to not be polarized or black and white or compartmentalized it's much harder to uh to be um uh, woven together it's harder to have things kind of flow into each other um because it's a constant balancing act and we get tired and we get upset and we get frustrated and we don't want to put the work in to do it. Um, and I think that's the wrong way to go about it. We're, we're, we're selling ourselves short for thinking that we can't handle that. Um, and, and I think nothing epitomizes that more than, than honestly being a, a parent and being a dad. Uh, there's no black and white way to approach it. You have to be nuanced with your kid or all your kids. Cause then they're all very different. Um, and, and, Nothing has kind of uh, epitomized that for me more than, than being a dad and, and having a family. Yeah. I, I mean, that that's something I'm one who doesn't want kids just because that responsibility, like you said, like it is one of those things where it's in today's sure. world and how the workplace works and just me just selfishly, like I, I just don't want kids. Do you, do you never want kids? I, I never want kids. No. How, how, how old are you? I'm 22. If you don't mind me probing. Uh, are you in a relationship? Uh, not right. No, no. We're getting deep. Come on now. Let's go. <laughs> no, I, I, get, a, I get the young thing. I get the young thing. I get the, the in love thing. Sure. Um, but even, I mean, again, the young yeah. thing, I get it, but you, you I just, know, you know, I never put the pressure on anybody to say you should get married. You should have kids. That said, I'm going to say something probably kind of a little bit out there and maybe, I don't know, might be considered Good. bold go or for offensive, it. Go for it. but, um, I, and I don't, and I don't mean to offend you with this, by the way, either. You're I good. truly no do believe, I truly do believe that, um, you miss out on something that is uh, instrumental to being human, fully human, right? And understanding your humanity uh, by not having kids. And, and I don't mean to say that in a way that, that uh, uh, demonizes people who can't have kids. No, because I, because I, I empathize with that so much. I have uh, friends who, who have struggled with, you know, having kids and it's, and I, and my heart breaks, breaks for them. It's more so the, the, what you just said, like the idea of saying like, I don't want kids. And I know there's a ton of reasons for them. And I've actually looked them up statistically. The reasons for them are what you just said, which is <laughs> really, which is no, it's, it's, and I don't mean to say this in a bad way, but it's, it's selfishness, right? It's the idea of, yeah. I have a, I have a, a, a career in mind. I have goals in mind. I want to accomplish these kids get in the way of that. Right. So that's, that's always, that's always reason number one for someone saying they never want to have kids. Reason number two is a really surprising one. You would think it might be like finances or whatever, like the ability to like raise a kid. 
um, on at least on which probably level. should be one of the top ones. <laughs> it, it is, it is, but it's not number two. Number two actually is people don't want to bring a kid into the world as it is. They just don't like what the world is. That's a good one and, too. And it's Solid. and it's scared. It scares them to have that type. Of, like you said, responsibility for that person in this world we live in. It's just not a good enough world. And um, and those things are really sad because the way to make that world better is through kids, right? Raising better people to be in the world to improve it. Um, and, and again, I, I just think that the experience you have and the reason going back to what I said, kind of like if you are saying I don't ever want to have kids, um, the reason I think that it's instrumental in like fully experiencing like what it is to be human and a person and a creation of God is because it is the best and closest glimpse we will ever get on this earth to the way God views us. God is a, as a father. He's a creator. He's a loving father. And he made us. We are his sons and his daughters. And he loves us so immensely that we can't even fathom it. But when you have a kid, you get to experience like a sliver of it. And it always blows my mind when I sit there and I look at my kids and I think about how much I love them. Uh, And then I think, wait a second, God loves them and me and my wife and everybody so much more. How is that even possible? And I, I flat out tell my kids, I say, you guys are on loan. Like, I don't, I don't own you. I didn't make you like God did. And he gifted you to me on loan. He's like, Hey, while they're on earth, you get to have them and you get to raise them. And I trust you. Um, but they're mine. In the end, they're mine. You're mine, right? You're on loan to your parents. And so that perspective has made me just um, so much more humbled and grateful and appreciative of the gift that they are, right? I don't feel any ownership of them. Yeah. Um, and again, it also gives me that that slight perspective. And I mean, like I'm talking like a sliver um, of how God sees us. And it, it, it just makes me, it makes me shudder. Like, I can't believe we're that worthy of that type of love. Um, and I think everybody should be able to experience that, which is why I hope everyone is able to experience that in some type of way. Well, um, even the people yeah. who aren't, I mean, there are like droughts, like adoption, right? Like, no, I, I get, I, and I don't mean by having kids. I don't mean like, no, no, yeah, lo- yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't mean biological. I just mean being a parent, which looks honestly comes and looks in all forms and shapes and sizes. Right. I, there are people who are uncles or aunts who I would consider parents to a kid. Yeah. Right. Because the way they parent them, um, it's just, it's just taking on that responsibility of a parent, whether that's through biological birth, adoption, whatever. It's, it's more so the thing of don't ever sell yourself short of saying, I never want kids because again, I get it. I trust me. I'm living it. I know the responsibility <laughs> that goes with it times three, but, um, but what it does for you as a human and the perspective that it gives you um, is, is, is heavenly. It's godly. It's a sliver of it. And, and, you know, I just can't imagine somebody not wanting to feel that or experience that. Um, and I know people could argue against that and get very offended by that. So I mean, no offense. Um, it's uh, everybody calm down. Everyone yeah. has, everybody everyone has down. different perspectives. Everyone everybody has like, different okay. outlooks. No, yeah. I, I do think it's so unique. It's just crazy. Like how many people live on this planet and we all have different like views and takes just on on the world and like how we should live our lives and it's beautiful like i said i even as somebody with like not a person of faith like i do really connect with a lot of your messages because i really do think there's a lot of value in what you're saying can we talk about why you're not a person of faith i'd love to talk about it Uh, Uh, oh am i getting you uncomfortable no 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 not at all i I, (laughs) is this one of those weird conversations you were talking about no no (laughs) no not at all it really is um i i grew up very religious i had a very religious family and yeah. um, it it's just really hard to sell a lot of the 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 kind of pseudoscience. Like, there's a lot of convenience. Sure. I I feel like that goes into actually believing. Sure. Um, just the way that certain things are kind of explained away. 
like yeah. the earth being as old as it is. And then, yeah. you know, and then you'll either get, oh, no, it's 2,000 years or older. You go, oh, well, God made it look 10,000 years old. Yeah. You know, or like that, like millions and millions, I mean, he's 10, a, he's millions a, he's of years a, old. Yeah, he's a good artist. You know, he probably just painted <laughs> it to look. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Look, it's, it's, I think the thing for me that really, uh, that really helped there is the fact that um, whether the earth is, how old is the earth? Scientifically, what, what, what do they say? Like Tomo. how many? Want to look that up? How many? How many billions? Of I think years it's like two point five billion. Is that it? Oh, I thought seven. I'm crazy. Maybe okay. seven billion. I don't know. You know what? I don't know either. <laughs> I thought the moon was like two point five billion years old or four. I don't know. Anyways, the Earth is billions of years old. Correct. Yes. Okay. Correct. So, um, and then you have uh, certain four point five billion. Air, four point five. Okay. Yeah. Then you have certain people who believe the Earth is whatever six thousand years old. Right? Yeah. 10, 000, whatever it is. Okay. Um, in the end, it, whichever one is, tr- I, I have my own thoughts on it, right? I, I believe it's the, the former. I believe it's billions of years old as a, as a Christian, as a Christ yeah, follower, as a believer. I, I know a lot of people right? who, of course. who are believers and do believe that, but that, I, that yeah. said, neither one makes a difference for my faith, yeah. right? Like if, if the, if the earth is, I mean, that's all just the way the world works, kind of factual stuff. That's great. It's important. I love science. I, if you, if you know, if you do follow me, sometimes you'll see me like tweet or like Instagram about space because I'm just enamored by space. Uh, I find a lot of um, godliness actually in space and and what in the in our existence and how you know space works and all these things. Um, but that's like all that stuff doesn't matter. You know, uh, the creation story, Adam and Eve versus evolution. What does it matter? Because really, the outcome of it is the same, right? It's creation, and so the things that are more important in those stories. And, you know, I'll have people on both sides who will get upset with me. I have people that are believers and non-believers. Oh, yeah. no, I... Both get mad, mad about what I'm saying. And the truth of the matter is in the end, the, you know, and, and when you really look into, when you really dive into the historical writings of Genesis, for example, it's written in, in poetic language. It's not written in factual. It would be like if I wrote a poem today, right? That was very abstract. And then somebody read it 10,000 years from now and they said, oh, that's how it must have been in 2019. Yeah. Right. And it's like, well, no, 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 no. I wrote this very abstract kind of, you know, poem that. And so that's the way Genesis is written in, in a lot of areas. Um, and so taking it as taking it as black and white and in stone, like, no, um, it, it, it's it's kind of inconsequential in a lot of ways. And again, that would anger a lot of Christians. That would anger a lot of non-Christians yeah, yeah, yeah. saying that. So I'm not putting myself in any, well, in any team that's, here. I, like I said, I grew up in uh, like in the Christian faith and I, that's actually really unique. <laughs> that's the first kind of like take I've seen on it. But like for yeah. me personally, it is really is it's, it's a dice roll. Like for me, it is really like a, like if I were putting money on it, I probably wouldn't put money on it. it just in terms of like what I've, like the the universe is just too big and i do get i i like i said yeah. i grew up in it i know both sides and it's just uh, i'm not i wouldn't put money on it i wouldn't yeah. roll uh i wouldn't put it all on black to see yeah you know? I, I, look like, like like i said earlier doubt and uh and faith go hand in hand yeah, i think yeah, that's yeah. something that actually within the church too people um don't talk about enough that on any given moment you can doubt things while still having faith um there is a, you know, a blanket on me or horrible Christian here. Can't quote his Bible. Um, but there's a, uh, there's a story that Jesus tells um, about a man who comes up to him. Um, I don't even think Jesus tells it. It's just an instance that happens um, where a man comes up to Jesus 
and he says, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Like it's the, it's, I, I, I kind of chill up when I say it myself, every time I think about it, every time I come across it, I, I always feel the same way. He says, I believe very sternly. Like I believe he's asking Jesus for help. I think with his daughter, I think he had a sick daughter. Um, and he says, I believe, help me with my unbelief in the same, like back to back. And um, that is the most authentic, relatable uh, experience we can have, I think, with our faith in that moment that that man has. He like, he represents us in so many ways because we always think it's one or the other. You don't believe or you believe. Yeah, That's not how it works. It's not how it works at all, right? You exercise moments of faith every day that you probably don't even realize are moments of faith, right? You may just not be attributing them to God quite yet, right? And then vice versa, I might be sitting here saying, I believe, I believe, and I'm attributing faith to God, but I have tons of moments of doubt, you know? Just hit me up if I wake up at two in the morning and I'm awake, right? Yeah. <laughs> like everybody, you know, being awake in the middle of the night is the worst and you start thinking about the worst things possible <laughs> and, uh, and you, and you just go into like doubt mode. It's always um, 2 a.m. It's always, always 2 a.m. <laughs> waking <man>. you up. <laughs> it's just like, Oh, why am I thinking about this stuff? I'm not going to solve it right now. Go back to sleep. Um, so yeah, I mean like it, it, it's, uh, I, I always just think about that. Right. I think about the fact that we're not perfect. Um, and, and we can be both doubt filled and filled with belief at the same time. And that's okay. And we can go through seasons of where one's stronger than the other. Some people's seasons last for decades or days yeah. or minutes, and it doesn't matter. Um, and so we should all just be a little more empathetic and have grace with each other in those situations. Um, and because that's how Jesus did it. And in the end, really all that stuff you says as background to, you know, it's hard to kind of believe these things when I put facts against it from science or, you know, stuff like that. Um, in the end, what really sells it for me and sells not even a, the right word, but just like the thing that I really hinge my faith on is Jesus. And I believe he was, a, he was real. I believe he existed. I believe he walked on this earth. I believe the stories about him in the gospels are true. I think there's a ton of things about that. Um, and the fact that, those stories exist and the way that they're told um, give merit to it being true. Uh, for example, when Jesus rose from the, from the grave, he was greeted and that story, right? He, he was by women, right? By Mary and by other women, women in that time, in that culture were not seen as valuable and their word held no merit at all. Yet they ran into the village and they said, Jesus is risen. Jesus, Jesus was working through women in that case to tell that he's risen. And the fact that that held merit in a society where nobody would listen to a woman um, goes to show you that like that shouldn't even have been written down. Like a man at that time, even a Christ follower, yeah. wouldn't have written it down to be like, oh, yeah, Mary said this. They wouldn't give it her no credit. They're like, no, 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 no. We can't even acknowledge what she yeah. says. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter, right? Um, and then there's so many other details within the Gospels that um, – even the Gospel of Luke, for example, right? The Gospel of Luke is a book that was written decades after Christ. And it was written by Luke, who wasn't a follower of Jesus at all. He was writing it for a king who wanted to know about Christ. And he heard about him, you know, in, in, in years past and his followers and this like budding religion and his budding faith. And he's like, I want to know about it. Can you go investigate it for me? Luke was a doctor. He was a journalist who went and investigated Christ. And he talked to eyewitnesses and people that were, were, um, were uh, second eyewitnesses to get this story and, and put it together. He kind of did the, like, he'd be like, if an investigative um, journalist went out and tried to like 
see if this is true or not. That's what Luke did. So there's a whole book that exists there that corroborates with the other gospels that are eyewitness accounts um, of, of Jesus. And so there's, there's all these things that like, I think don't make it, especially to our, our Western culture and to America that um, are a little bit more rooted in really like historical like approach the same way any historian historian would look at anything to see if it was true um that are rooted actually in especially the life of jesus and uh that stuff doesn't translate here but um i've been lucky enough to go to uh, israel and when you're in israel i mean faith is not a thing you know there's a lot of faiths there by the way there's there's islam there's 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 judaism there's all these different faiths um and it's kind of funny. You actually see all three at the same time. Like anywhere there's a church, there's always a mosque and a temple, like always on the same corner. And yeah. They never have one without the other because like, they always feel like, oh, like somebody built the not church. My, there. Not, to, not my zone. Yeah, no, not we, my need to, we, we, we need to even it out and build a temple and a mosque. Oh, there's a temple. We need to build a church. And a mosque. It's so funny. <laughs> and um, and like, you know, there's a lot of tension there because of that kind of stuff. But at the same time, nobody there, like there's no second guessing the um, authenticity of Christ even amongst um, uh, the other faiths. Like it's just, it's just historical because there's so much evidence towards it that the same way anybody looking at anything historical would, would look for that signs of evidence um, it's there. So I, I think sometimes that stuff doesn't translate too well to um, our Bibles, right? Going from Hebrew to Greek and then translating to like English. Like I think a lot of that stuff doesn't translate well. Um, so I always take an effort to really look back and kind of, get the real meaning of some words. Um, the other day I was, I was reading, uh, I was in Colossians and it was, um, yeah, or no Philippians, sorry, Philippians four, eight. And it's, it says, uh, whatever's noble and, 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 and good. Like think about these things, think about all these good things. Right. And I, and I focused on the word, think about these things. And I was like, I don't feel like, I, like, I really want to know what the Greek is for that. Cause it was originally written in Greek. Yeah. And I go, I really want to know what the Greek word for that is, because I don't think that that translates to think about these things. And sure enough, it wasn't, it was some word I can't even, it is a good, I can't off the top of my head. I can't pronounce it now. Yeah. Um, but it was some Greek word that basically meant to take account, right. And to like, to really like review and then list out. So it wasn't just like, Oh, think about these things. Like, Oh, they're so nice. It was a little more detailed than that. It was actually like, look at all these great things, right? Whatever's, whatever's uh, good, whatever's amazing, whatever's awesome. Think about all these things, take account of all these things. And it really was to, you know, um, foster a sense of gratitude uh, and, and, and how God is working in our lives by always providing these, these, you know, things that we need. And um, I remember sitting there thinking to myself like, man, like that doesn't come across when you re- think about those things, you know, I just like, it's so generic. So I think some things don't translate well in the language. And then also some things just haven't translated in our culture. Yeah. Um, we have a hard time understanding the relationships that were existed 2000 years ago when Jesus was walking around and he talks about tax collectors and he talks about Samaritans and he talks about all these things. And we kind of go, he has a lot of farming analogies because it's a farming culture. And um, I think we're so disconnected from that, that it's, really hard for us to kind of understand what he's saying so i think there's a lot of things that get, have gotten lost in translation um that, that's and- what, that's what's so hard about it and it is one of those things like i really do love like the 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 like 
like the threads, the history, like everything mm-hmm. behind it, I really do like. And like I said, I do love having these kind of conversations. And I, I wish we had more time because yeah. I, I want to have eventually, hopefully one day, I didn't scare Part you two. off, uh, have more of a back and forth, especially about religion. I actually, yeah, I, I think great. you and Nick DiPaolo, don't know if you know Nick DiPaolo, he'd be a great guest on your podcast if you ever had guests. with him a few times, just uh, brief, yeah. very brief. Yeah, great yeah. guy. Um, I'd love to get you guys both on and really just like, I, because I have more of a back and forth in terms of like the, the religion thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because I, I always enjoy those conversations, yeah. but a um, little short on time here. So no, um, I just want one more, one more question for you just for the people sure. out there who do work these, you know, nine to five jobs who do have kids who yeah. do balance nine different things. Like not everyone can kind of quit their job and kind of start their own business or, yeah. or and maybe they do have their own business and it just never got off the ground. Like what, what advice do you kind of give to these people? Yeah. Um, well, like I said, I don't want to ever put myself in someone else's shoes or mind and, and think that, I, you know, I know people that are very happy yeah. working traditional nine to five. They go to work, they do their thing, they come home, they have a little bit of time with their kids and that's it. Um, that just didn't, didn't, didn't cut it for me. And um, so I never want to think like everybody thinks the same way I do. I feel you know? like a lot of people do though. And I feel like a I, lot of people who do like, I assume, it's, yeah, you're right. And it's not, it's not everybody. Some people make it work fine. I, right. I would, I would assume that's a safe bet, especially considering I rode Bart for many years. I saw a lot of miserable faces yeah. on Bart, you know, <laughs> I never saw anybody like, yeah, I can't wait to go to work. This is so great. I'm yeah. leaving my, like my, my family behind. I go do this and sweat in a, uh, in a Bart train. No, uh, so I think well, the way I feel, I think is in line with a lot of people. Um, that said, you know, not everyone's path is the same. I don't think there's like a, uh, a structure for it. It's like, here's how you can escape this work style, right? Yeah. Um, for me, it was getting laid off, you know? Uh, for some other people, it might be quitting the job or working as a side gig, right? To try and build something simultaneously and having time where you're putting in maybe extra hours or finding that time. Um, I don't know the path. I know for me that I have kids that are young that I can set them on a good path to start. And I think that really is uh, the thing that I'm focusing on with my family and, and really showing that, hey, there's a way that you can work and there's, cause work is a great thing and work is a God given thing. Um, there's a way you can work that doesn't need to match the, the structure that society has set up that this is how you work, right? That you can actually yeah. go against the grain with that. Um, Especially with I, technology. Special technology and, 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 and how things are changing with education and all these things. I, I definitely want to show my kids that like, there is no set path. There is no set standard. You can, you can be creative. You need to be creative. I mean, ultimately I think that's it. You need to be creative and you also need to understand that um, you need to understand really like where your, your true goals are, because I think we just get hammered hammered and hammered with this idea of like career goals career goals career goals from like an early early age right yeah. what do you want to be when you grow up and that's that's the question every kid gets asked right and it's like i'm actually more curious what kind of what kind of person my kid's gonna be when they grow up not what they're gonna do that is Just, a great point like we really do hammer the like career 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 but like yeah what kind of person are you like where are your values like what do you value like yeah. where, where do you want to put your time and energy like what absolutely and so, so that's, that is, um, that's the question I'm more concerned with asking my kids and, and kind of raising them to think about that. Um, so I would just do the same for anybody that's, you know, older and obviously in the middle of it, like I was like, start asking yourself that question, Yeah. right? Like what kind of person do you want to be? And 
what kind of person do you want to and need to be for others, maybe for family and around you and stuff like that? Um, and is your current trajectory supporting of that, right? Does it support that? And if it doesn't, then you need to make it an uncomfortable, drastic change. Um, and I, again, I thank God that he, you know, interceded and, and pushed me that way because I needed that extra push. I wasn't going to do it myself, unfortunately. It, it was teetering on my mind for a lot of years and I just, I just never, never did it. And um, I'm so glad he did. And so we have, to be, we have to be able to do that and then be, feel comfortable moving into an uncomfortable space. Um, you know, this is the first time I've gone, I mean, it's been almost a year, I think now that, that since the, the layoff and uh, it's the first time I've gone this long, not working for a structured job. Yeah you know, ever in my life, to be honest, outside of that one year where I was 22 and freelancing, it didn't matter. Yeah, but yeah. Um, but it, it's the first time in a long time that I've had that. And I have so much more on my plate because of the, with responsibilities. And it's uncomfortable. It totally is. You know, like, it's weird. You're trying to figure it out. You, you're, you're, you're thinking about like what other people think too, you know, and like, uh, and it's, it's really funny. I went to the pool the other day with my kids at like 2 p.m. because it's blazing hot. And I was doing some work and I'm like, wait a sec shut down, let's go to the pool, right? Took them there and went swimming. And, uh, and then after that, um, had I think my in-laws came over. Yeah. And I think my, my father-in-law was just like, oh man, what's the pool today? It's like a Tuesday, must be nice, you know? And stuff like that. And uh, uh, he's retired, so I kind of give him the same kind yeah. of <laughs> but, um But, uh, you know, like that's, that mindset is all based in the idea of there's a structure and how we're supposed to work and you got to stick to it. Yeah you don't, you don't have to stick to it. And I can't tell you the path out of it, but you gotta, you gotta rebel it. You gotta fight against it and you have to trust. Um, and that's why it's an exercise that's much more feasible. And I think, you know, you mentioned, and I'm very humbled to you saying this, like that, that how I dealt with it. And you saw that there was just like a lot of positivity, I guess, around it and optimism around it. I couldn't have done that without having a faith in God. Yeah. And so I, I, I don't know how to, how to go about it without that. You know, um, I don't know how anybody could go about it without that, because then what are you putting your trust in? You're putting your trust in yourself. Like, uh, that's not a safe bet. You know, you're putting your trust in somebody else. I mean, we got to exercise that, but that's still not a safe bet. Um, you know, and, and, and I'm just going to sit there and say, I'm going to put my trust in the person who hung the stars and hung the moon and created the galaxies and, and did all that work. If he can do that, he could definitely manage my life. Yeah. So, um, so I mean, that, that would be that would be my thing is like, let's not it's a mind shift um i have a tattoo on me it's romans 12 2 on my arm um and uh the reason i got that was because I, I love I, it was like the first talking about kind of what you were saying right about how like it's hard to have faith or anything when like there's all this kind of like the world is telling me all these facts and all these things that like make that feel like pseudo science and I, I just can't i can't compute all that it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't line up for me um romans 12 2 says do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can test and approve God's will, his perfect, uh, loving, and pleasing will. And when I read that for the first time, and probably not the first time, it's probably like the 20th time, but like it was the first time it stuck with me where I said, wait a second, the Bible's speaking and God is speaking to my mind? Like no one ever talks about that, right? No one ever thinks that the Bible talks about intellect or mind or the way that your mind works. It's all about heart and feeling and passion and faith and here's this verse that's just like slow down look at the world don't be conformed by it like renew your mind like god wants you to use that brain he created <laughs> yeah. you know and apply it um 
and and that was the first time that I, I've really felt God spoke to like intellect. The first sentence, don't be conformed by the pattern of this world, right? That is my advice to anybody who is looking to maybe break away from this like rigorous current work style that we've just so blindly adopted because it doesn't work. And, um, and how do you get out of it? Well, just don't, first of all, don't conform to it. Go against the grain. It's going to be uncomfortable and start getting comfortable in that uncomfortable space. Um, and then just keep, keep going, you that, know, like don't stop. And, that's it. Uh, th- that's always been my my philosophy is like if you're if you're not comf- like if you're uncomfortable you're doing something yeah. right and if you're comfortable you need to you need to make a change somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've I've definitely felt that especially in the last year. If, um, if someone's looking at you and they're kind of going, huh, that's different. You're 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 probably onto something. Yeah, you know? <laughs> like you're probably you're probably doing it right. Um, well, so yeah, just get uncomfortable in that space and move forward and and. Um, stick with it surround yourself by people who are encouraging and loving and supportive too i mean that always helps god god gave us great relationships around us to use yeah. uh, to to support each other so a L- lot of wisdom there there darren um like i said i i love the conversation with you uh thanks for coming on yeah uh, no i appreciate, appreciate it. it i, I want to do a round two and whether nick's involved or not i want to talk with you i love absolutely love to hear i, I would your, love to like, do a, story. a deep dive into kind of the religion and have more of that back and forth uh just yeah. because you know, the, the, the whole beginning of this was more about career, everything like that. But I, I really do yeah. like the, the faith topics and everything. Like yeah. That. I, you know, I, I just, I, I'm sorry. I can't separate them. You know, like I, I, like I said, I, for, I don't, I don't compartmentalize, uh, compartmentalize them. They, they, it just all it's kind of we weaves together. It's spaghetti. <laughs> yeah. It's spaghetti. Well, Darren, uh, where can people find you? Where can people listen to raising light? Yeah, so you can listen to Raising Light pretty much anywhere you can listen to podcasts, right? So it's on Apple Podcasts, it's on Spotify. Uh, I just started doing SoundCloud. I don't promote it that much. Um, or you can just listen to it on the web browser, right? Go to RaisingLight.org and you can listen to it there. Um, you know, do all the normal things, subscribe, follow, whatever. Leave a review because that's great. That helps people find it. But to be honest with you, it's a, I had a hard time always kind of maintaining a podcast or a, or a vlog or a blog. Um, until I got to the point where I realized I just want to speak to a specific audience. And that specific audience is my three boys. Yeah. And so I literally just speak into the mic, just like this, as if I'm talking to them uh, and, and telling them a message I want them to hear. Um, and then just add a, you know, intro and outro to it. That's for the audience. But um, so, yeah, it's, it's been great. Uh, I learn more about myself being a parent than I probably bestow on my kids. Um, which is why I, when I record these, I, I, that's why I'm sharing them, to be honest with you, because they're for my kids. But I've found that I've grown so much from just being introspective about these things. And, and, and I've learned more from them than they probably learned from me. <laughs> so I, I don't know if that's a being, I, I don't know if it's being a good parent or not. No, but, I, um, I love the podcast. It feels weirdly intimate at times. Yeah. You're like, no, good. Oh, good. Yeah. It's almost <laughs> like you shouldn't be hearing it at certain times, but it's like, I, I really love it. I love the perspective. I love, the, like I said, even if you're not like a person of faith, go listen to the podcast because even it. like in the, the conversation we had today, there's a lot of wisdom to pull out of it. And there's a lot of almost mentality checks mm-hmm. at, at times, especially when I listen to your podcast. Like, Oh, I, I do kind of think like that. Like I, yeah. I can change that. That is something I have control over. Like, let me, and, you know, so and I don't want to say I know what I'm doing. Right. Like, here's the thing is like, in the end, I'm, I, if I, if I ever come across that way where you feel empowered, I, that's great and inspired. I love that. That's because I've been able to, put myself around similar people, well, you know, with, like I, and, I look for that, you know? Well, like with anything, it's like, 
uh, I don't really agree with that, but like uh, this other thing, like you know, it, it's with that. Sure. That's with everything. So I do yeah, really yeah, encourage absolutely. people give it a listen, especially if you like uh, what Darren had to say today. Uh, you can go ahead and like, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff, right down below. Follow <laughs> Chip to get or ooh, play everything. Play everything on Twitter. You can follow me uh, at Cheeks underscore Junior on Twitter. And uh, like I said, completely consensual at gmail.com. If you have any questions for any of the guests in the future, Darren, thank you again so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. You too. Have a blessed day.